We're back. Welcome once again to another Oscar race checkpoint, another episode of the Mike, Mike and Oscars podcast. I am your co-host, Mike One, co-host also Mike, in a moment as we are going around the Hollywoods, bringing you all the awards season and awards worthy information you need to keep yourself in tune, heading up to the 2022 Academy Awards. Mike, this year is already more than half done. I can't believe that. I can't believe we're in July and there's a Cannes Film Festival and there's... Emmy nominations snuck up on us. I know we do uh, what's coming next on every Mike, Mike, and Oscar episode, and I totally forgot that the Emmy noms are coming. Show you how tuned into the world of TV we are, yeah. We're not tuned in, even though I watched a lot of TV over the last two years because I have no life. But Same, uh, except apparently it's not awards caliber TV I was watching. So <laughs> you, you do watch mm-hmm. a lot of shit, but Garbage, that's another yes. conversation, yeah. Uh, no, we got, we're going to actually split up everything that we could talk about today into stuff we're going to talk about this weekend mike with can especially because so many reactions it's covering our timelines right now and we're just not gonna be able to fit it all in today we're also not going to talk about it before we should talk about it and that's after the can palm diors and all their awards come out this weekend yeah and and so we're going to be on top of that we'll have a, a weekend episode going through the awards what do you call it? Award show of cans, I guess. Uh, 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 I of canas. They have awards each night, uh, so they don't necessarily have a show. They they do have some kind of presentation. I'm sure. I'm sure Timothy Chalamet and Tilda Swinton will be hugging and canoodling and everything they've been doing. No, I give them a talk show. Just let the two of them. Like, what's that friendship like? I yeah. Let where? Why is that not a reality show? <laughs> Investigate everywhere? that more. I would watch that. That'd be up for some Emmy stuff. But yeah, all right. So two episodes uh, covering awards stuff this week. This is going to be probably the more business focused slash. Uh, you're going to see how little we know about the business of TV-focused stuff as we get to our Emmys uh, conversation later in this. But we're going to start with a story about uh, A24. Our buddy Wojciech actually brought this to our attention, and we dug a little deeper into it, Mike. Wojciech shouts out some things that become facts yeah. later on. He did that with the the Oscars move into April. He did mm-hmm. that like months in advance for us, and we were on top of it because of our man on the ground. <laughs> Can't thank Wojciech. him enough. He's awesome, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we love them. Uh, A24, okay. So apparently they're on the block. They're trying to sell for a, a price of 2.5 to $3 billion, Mike. And my first question here, and we've covered news and sports forever, mm-hmm. and sports news, and when you get leaks like this, when negotiations like this come to the press, whether it's come Apple from TV+, Plus, MGM, they got to come from somewhere, exactly. Mm-hmm. So who's leaking this if it's not... A24, who's cooperating with Matt Donnelly of Variety, who had the exclusive, if it's like we always try to read into this. What do you what do you where do you think this is coming from? Yeah. And if you read the entire article, he goes on to say Donnelly does that sources close to A24 say there's focused on the future and they're, they're looking on to expand their blah, blah, blah. I, 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 yeah, it makes a lot of sense that this is to coming from A24 and they're saying, hey, we're available for sale. <laughs> you and know, we want regardless this amount of, of money. Right. Regardless of what their public statements are, whatever their sources close to them are saying, I, I can't, I mean, where else would this come from unless it was a bidder 
an Apple or somebody who approached A24 to buy them wholesale and thinks the price is outrageous, but, you know, we just saw MGM go to Amazon for, what, $9 billion was right. the number? Eight, eight point something billion? So is 2.5 or is 3.5 outrageous for A24? I don't know that it is. So a lot of red flags with this deal and a lot of things that both worry me and excite me. It's, it's my usual existence here <laughs> in, in this movie podcasting world and just anywhere else. But <laughs> Life A20, in general, yeah. Right, yeah. A- A24 has so many deals with so many companies, right? I mean, they, they we just saw Apple TV Plus have a bunch of uh, A24 films in their pipeline. We've also heard about them rejecting a lot of A24 films because I think Apple TV Plus wants a certain brand of entertainment of tv shows of movies uh, and they're i think they're going the disney route in that regard it's almost like a tv station right uh in a certain type of uh mm. you know ratings they don't want hard horror they don't want that type type of stuff and a24 is you know they're, they're letting creatives do whatever they want essentially right they're finding auteurs as uh, eric weber likes to say so a24 has been selling a la carte to various studios and they've had a few deals with Hulu and and Apple TV plus along the way. And I'm sure as this article points out, they have a ton of licensing deals with their entire library. Some of this over there, some of that over here. We all, we've seen like movies like Moonlight and Lady Bird bounce around from Netflix to Amazon, etc. So it's a messy purchase according to this article. And that makes this a little different than the MGM deal. On the one hand, it's also a much more powerful production house because they are literally making Oscar level awards level entertainment every year. They're making some of the coolest shit out there. And I'm glad Michael that I don't have three and a half billion dollars because I'd probably spend three (laughs) on a 24 if I did. So that, that brings into a bigger conversation too of, yeah, it's a mess. Any, any deal with any studio right now is a mess because we're kind of in this period where exclusivity is king and, we're in a waiting period almost with all these licensing deals, it seems, but at the same time, they're still happening. I mean, Mm -hmm. Universal just came out and announced that they're going to do, you know, they're going to put their new titles on Peacock for four months, and then they're going to honor their licensing deals with all the other... So it'll go from a new movie will play in theaters, and then it'll go on Peacock for four months, and then it'll spend ten months off Peacock before it returns home to Peacock again. And... I don't know if there's going to be some kind of backlash from consumers about all this movement. And it's going to be impossible to kind of hone in on exactly where the properties are going to be playing in streaming. And I wonder if Joe Consumer cares about that at all or not. Or if they, if they are you just going to pick up the remote and you're going to be able to play what's there for however long it's there for? Yeah, if I ask you right now where A24's, A24's film library is playing... No, nobody would yeah. know. If I asked no. anybody, nobody right. would know. Not the not the most in touch pundit ever, right? right. They, they have no clue because it's playing. They're playing everywhere, and then they've been just selling stuff, flat out, just selling the rights to to new movies, old movies, etc. So, I mean, this company's done business with just about everybody, with most of the major streamers, uh, if not all of them, and. I, I do think that these windows are getting stranger and stranger now. 
when cords get cut, what happens? When the streaming wars go into full effect, what happens? I do think people are, are coming for the new content, the exclusive content, like you said, and they're staying for the libraries in many cases. Yeah, there's a reason that the South Parks of the world going for half a billion dollars or whatever that number was is seen as a decent deal, even though the number is outrageous by, by people in the business sector. You know, like that having something where you know where its home is. I still think there's value in that, except that it doesn't seem to be the case for, like, any movie that's out right now. I know, because you can also <laughs> probably buy it on VOD for mm-hmm. $6 or $10 or $30 right. or whatever as well, because everything's available everywhere. So when do consumers kind of wise up and start nixing out streaming services, too? Because right. we, we know and we figured that was coming. That's going to be the streaming wars, right? When it actually happens, when people start... When subscriber bases start dropping again in the future, that, that's when things are really going to get interesting, and we're it's going to force some major changes, I think. But how well, well, how you to. can forecast I, that? I mean, who knows? Like, so if someone's trying to buy a twenty four, you got to be able to predict the future, no? And the pandemic may have something to do with that too, because I, I forget which article I was reading. I read a ton. Uh, for this episode, they're all blurring together now in my mind because that's how that happens. But uh, I was a great law student. Uh, so, but I, one of the articles said how the pandemic opened up people's wallets because they, people were desperate for entertainment. There was no live sports for a time and they were more apt to buy that fifth or sixth or seventh, et cetera, streaming service. And yep. now that the world's opening back up, their wallets are going to get tighter, which makes a lot of sense. And so it's important to be in that like top three group of streamers. So I wonder if... Any studio now, regardless of, you know, any potential purchasers of A24 in whole are going to wait to see, I wonder, if they're going to wait to see what the buying trends are. I mean, you think Netflix is king and Disney Plus seems to be coming for the king's head. So those have to be in everybody's portfolio as the top two. So are we really trying to see who finishes as three and four and five in terms of the streaming hierarchy before any more big purchases are done? I don't know. You probably got to put Amazon up there. Those I two. would think just, I mean, Amazon Prime's a great deal just for the freaking shipping. Right. No, it's <laughs> you know, having nothing to do with the product of entertainment. I know. And we've, we've seen our friends, Eric Weber, I'll mention him again, talk about movie theaters like malls versus, uh, like malls versus Amazon right now in a way. And, and that's sad to, to think about it in such mm. terms, but uh, it's going to segue into our box office update here. But it, it does matter in terms of A24 in, in particular because they have been so theatrically driven. We saw mm-hmm. them sit on their slate, alliteration, right, for so long during the pandemic when we were just dying for the right. Green Knight. I mean, we were, we would have paid $40 for the Green Knight Somebody back in the pandemic. Somebody at Odds Checker knows something. They knew that pandemic was in the pipeline, and that's why Green Knight had 6-1 to one odds for Best Picture, I think. That's the only explanation as to why the Green Knight had such great Best Picture odds all throughout last year. So maybe, maybe A24 doesn't have as many deals on their forthcoming properties as you'd think. Maybe they are trying to, you know, make monies in theaters and therefore they're worried right now about theaters going down. I, like this is, this is the type of story that, again, casts another red flag once we want to praise the box office for something. <laughs> and Why? 
declare ourselves <laughs> wrong and oh, I wish I wasn't wrong in the past and we were just we were, we just went through a phase Michael we were homeless and on the street and <laughs> and just yelling on a cardboard box you know with a cardboard no, we're, suit we're still doing that but I, I I'm the cockiest homeless person ever because we're right about this <laughs> we're absolutely right we can go into the box office update because the numbers for Black Widow talking about theaters and PVOD and all that fun stuff and Disney plus premium access that have numbers for, for Black Widow are in uh, it made what was the number? $80 million was its opening weekend. Yep. And uh, another $60 million, Disney was sure to point out in the trades, and speaking of leaking information and why things get leaked the way they do, Disney was sure to point out that $60 million plus came in through the premier access on Disney Plus. And that's a, a split because obviously more of that Disney Plus money stays with Disney as opposed and- to the box office split. Yeah, I mean, you add it all together, it's like 215 or whatever it was worldwide. We should have done the math there. But so this was fascinating because this was front loaded. And there was actually reports that this could be front loaded for Black Widow. In other words, like you said, Thursday, Friday, a lot of people, Saturday, Sunday, not as many or not what typically holds in an opening weekend that starts out so strong. Especially for a Marvel movie. I mean, this thing opened... On Saturday morning, having made fifty million dollars already at the box office domestically, right. and I all we heard from everyone was, "Oh, is everyone saying that theaters are dead now?" And well, theaters are in trouble, guys. Like this is bad. It's almost unconscionable that Black Widow only did eighty million dollars based on the night. It did thirteen point two on Thursday and thirty nine point five Friday. It's over fifty million. So for the rest of the weekend, it dropped off significantly i mean the saturday night receipts were down 41 percent the sunday receipts were down another 26 percent and if you compare that to other debut marvel movies Mm -hmm. the numbers don't really match up at all this was a huge drop i don't think you can just say well it's only black widow and how much interest can there be because like you just explained if you take the disney plus numbers into consideration if those were treated as regular box office numbers, adjusting for even some people who wouldn't have actually ventured out to the theater in the first place, you're still probably looking at like $150 million, $130 million as an opening. So for the $80 million that did happen to go to theaters, you've you lost like 50% almost of what you could have made if this was just a theatrical release. There's so much going on here because... On the one hand, I wanted to think about this as passionate fans versus like casual fans, right? Mm-hmm. And some of that could have pandemic effects where the casual fans aren't necessarily coming back to their movie theater going habit. And you wonder if they ever will or you wonder if they are passionate fans for other franchises and whatnot. So maybe the, you know, the typical movie going habit of the typical person is just not showing up on the Saturday and, and Sunday in the same numbers. But then I thought about the price point and I, I think there's another factor going on here because thirty dollars is a bargain for more than two people. Like mm-hmm. if you're watching this at home and there's more than three of you, you're gonna have to spend forty five in you know, just on tickets. Sure. Never mind sure. popcorn and the whole whole uh, whole deal there if you go a uh, night at the movie theaters i mean we just heard adnan verk on a cinephile podcast talk about how he spent like 140 dollars for him and his family to go to boss baby that's why you can't have kids <laughs> that's why we don't <laughs> no but uh we have a situation where the 30 dollars disney is giving people a deal if it's a if it's a group of people and if it's you and me being idiots at home no we're not we're not getting in on that deal but i do think the singles 
are going to the movie theaters and the families could be staying home and getting a piece of this good deal, especially when they have so many other options for new entertainment uh, at home at lower prices. And that's what it's coming down to for me at this point is what are the prices? Uh, and I think that matters for some people. If I looked at my bank statements and I realized I spent $140 to go see Boss Baby 2, I would mail the receipt to Universal and just demand some kind of... Re I mean, that's... And when you realize you could have watched it on Peacock for free? Is it on Peacock for free? <laughs> I, sure. Well, let's, let's just lie and say that we know that for sure that it is. But I don't know. I, yeah, there's all kinds of, of... This is just a mishmash, and it's still so un charted land for us and we're still trying to figure out our way but i i get the reason for theater optimism i really really do because their base is turning out right the base that goes to the movie theaters the passionate fans a lot of our friends on film twitter a lot of the city dwellers a lot of the singles and even though we're singles too and we're buying it everywhere we're spending way too much disposable income that's really not disposable but <laughs> yeah all of us agree like we want to save movie theaters we want movie theaters to stick around we want that habit to stay in the culture and for them to be fixtures in our daily lives because we always grew up just going to the movie theaters once every other week if not every week i mean right we, that's what we do. But and this, but, but it still undercut itself. Mm -hmm. I mean, in a time where theaters need money, what can you rely on more than an established character, an established comic book hero, an established Marvel, Marvel property, a beloved character? Yes, it's her first solo standalone film, but she's been, I mean, this movie should have happened five years ago. She's been built up enough. So... And people turned out for it. That's the, I mean, like, it's it's the best and the worst of all kinds of worlds. People did show up for Black Widow. They bought a ton. Captain Marvel's opening, I think, was 150 some odd domestically, right? About 150 million, and and this could have rivaled those numbers. And you just took the legs out from under it in a time where theaters need the most money. That's the it's, thing, right? It's like, bad news for theaters going forward. This is the best case scenario. And yes, you can blame it, I guess, on on the pandemic still being a very real thing in this country, and sure. it is in certain parts, especially Canada. Sure, but there's there's people everywhere still. I mean, there's people out and about everywhere right now. Totally. For so the domestic box office rebounding for the big ticket items like F nine, like Black Widow, that is that is a good sign. That is a sign that enough people are going to make this a viable business going forward. Uh, if the exclusive product is there, go back to a quiet place part two. If it's there, people will come. They will still come. The mm -hmm. question, you know, moves into the territory of all right, where are the incentives for these movie studios? like Disney, when they're releasing these figures, these $60 million figures, which is what? This is 2 million people buying it for $30 a piece. I think I uh, I did the math on that. Okay. Where, where is it? There it is. 2 million households, not people. So how many people is that? What's the viewership? Is that 4 right. million? Is that 5 million? My guess is, again, you know, $30 per it probably averages out to two and a half people or whatever, and you're looking at 5 million people that if you put that in terms of uh, butts and seats in movie theaters, that probably accounts for the another $60 million, right? So it probably evens out. But here, Disney is making all of that all money. money. They're and, keeping that and money, yeah. with the $80 million in theaters in United States American theaters, they're only making at, at best half of that money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this is a real problem when Disney is basically telling you that 
they're making as much, if not more. And I know the 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 sixty million is worldwide, I believe Disney Plus worldwide. But well, sure. But also, who who are they telling that? Like, why is that headline being leaked? To, to we don't hear studios and streamers ever report on their numbers unless they're like some incomprehensibly big. So this is being reported because Disney knows it's a huge win for them. And it's also got to be signifying to other streamers like, look, this is the money that's available. Like the people are going to stay home and they will purchase it if it's a product worth purchasing. And that's another blow to the, like this is all setting up very poorly in the long run, I think. And I don't know why a lot of people aren't more upset about this. Well, I, my biggest worry is that if families are staying home, that's that's a huge problem because that means kids are staying home or not going to the movies mm-hmm. as much, and sure. that means the next generation of moviegoers, and that that means this is a slow death, a slow yeah. death for theaters. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's absolutely there's uh, you crystallize it. There's a lot of reasons to to be fearful about the state of theaters, and I know this is kind of turning into like a weekly vaudeville act by us, but you know the proof is in the pudding. We're we're, we're just people that kind of study this stuff, and this this is starting to stick out like a sore thumb to us. I don't I don't know any other way to put it. We want theaters to do well, so go back to the movie yeah. theaters if you can safely do so, folks, yeah. uh, and prove us wrong. You want to prove us wrong, that's what you got to do. Yeah, uh, We can pivot and talk about some uh, Oscar-contending trailers that did debut for us this week as well. We got our first look of the movie Flea. Uh, did you watch this one? Was this part of your Sundance experience, Mike? Yes, I did not do a whole Sundance recap, uh, film festival recap there, because most movies I did not like. Flea, I did like. I really enjoyed it. It, it made me cry at the end. It's an animated documentary, essentially, where this central character is interviewed about his exodus. He was a refugee, uh, and I believe... Uh, it's one of the more harrowing stories uh, out there. And I, I think this is going to be a wild card in the animated feature category. Yeah. It certainly might be a wild card in the documentary feature category. It could be a double nominee. And, and we've seen double nominees go uh, go documentary and international feature. This may be an animated uh, international and documentary feature triple nominee for Christ's sake because of its... Uh, reception at uh, at Sundance. People loved this movie. It was awarded. It was, you know, it's it's got so many rave reviews. You see that in the trailer, and I thought they did a great job cutting up this trailer. I don't necessarily know if Flea is going to be one of those rousing, you know, high paced movies like a trailer shows, like all trailers show. We're gonna get on mm-hmm. Dune in a second for it. So I don't <laughs> I don't know what your expectations going in to something like Flea is. So how did this? You know, how did this trailer hit you? What do you are what are you expecting? I, I don't I, I'm not exactly sure what I'm expecting, to be honest. I mean it's it's very well well drawn. I mean it's it's got a unique look to it certainly, and it tells kind of a, a heartwarming or like a, a heart tugging, I guess, story. Mm-hmm. Uh and, and it's clearly a, a very emotional recapping of, of this man who who's trying to tell his story but not tell it like he it looks like he's trying to hide his story or he's having trouble telling his story to Definitely to somebody who's yeah. yeah so i i mean there's enough mystery within the trailer there to to kind of get you intrigued there's enough you can tell there's there's a heart at the center of this and all the accolades are are there i mean the, the trailer is littered with them from reputable sources uh and like you said it won a ton of awards at sundance so i'm i'm interested in it no doubt i actually didn't realize it was a documentary until you said it i thought it was a, a fictitious account but knowing that it's a true account is it makes it all the more appealing to me is it a doc- i mean he's telling the story i get i guess it's a documentary he's telling the story and they're animating his past i mean they didn't film his past so that'll be an intriguing uh, classification yeah. problem later on and maybe it's not a documentary 
at the end. Yeah, of I don't year. know. I, I don't know. It's it's something uh, worth keeping an eye on, though. And yeah, I mean, you you said it. The documentary feature has dabbled in other categories of late, so this would be kind of cool if it does do that as well and plays well with the animated category this year. It's right on the B, B-plus border for me. I think I did give it a B-86. That might have been me being in a bad mood over all the other Sundance films I didn't like, though. Gotcha. I might have been grouchy. I don't know. But Mike uh, will make a hard right turn into <laughs> Dune Trailer 2, and I hated this second trailer from WB. What are they doing here? This is jagged. What is this? I, I I didn't hate it, but I'm not sure that I was in love with it either. And I have concerns about Dune as it is. But we have a quote of fear is the mind killer and my father rules an entire planet are one-liners that are given in this uh, this trailer here. So mm. was Dune originally based on Star Wars? Or is it just that Denis Villeneuve is, is that big of a fan of Star Wars? Or <laughs> we're, we're just not going to be able to review this movie together, are we? <laughs> I'm just going to have to get another sci-fi and fantasy nerd out here to talk to about this. I want to like Dune. I tried reading the book twice, but for the record, uh, he wrote it in 1965. That's 12 years before Star Wars. Nothing but Star Wars! (laughs) But you're right that Villeneuve is a huge fan. He's, He's apparently seen Dune over 30 times, or read Dune over 30 times. Hopefully he hasn't watched David Lynch's Dune over 30 times. Poor bastard. Uh, So... I, I just felt like this was like five TV spots, super rushed, mushed together. The editing sucked. When I wow. said jagged, like why? Like the editing was so smooth in the other trailers. It was just, it looked like a Villeneuve trailer. It looked like we were, all right, this is not going to be paced too fast. Just like all of his other films, this is, this is going to have time to breathe. For Christ's sake, they cut the book in half and they're going to make two movies at least. A lot of action in this, which is not a, a Villeneuve go-to at least not that what we've seen from his previous stuff but like to me this kind of looked like what the longest night episode from game of thrones final season should have looked like and what the best version of any mortal Kombat movie in all of our brains could ever look possibly look like so you just negged the game of thrones uh-huh and a movie bad show bad show bad all of you and you just <laughs> somehow put like sugar all over mortal Kombat. the latest like she just coated it in sugar and we, we we're not gonna be able to talk about doing mortal Kombat better than game of thrones i've laid down my shield yeah how dare you i i don't know i thought the action looked good but it's not a you know kind of a new territory i mean villeneuve has shot a decent amount of action there's obviously blade runners in there and stuff but i, I don't know I, I i have concerns about this overall as an awards player well, I'll tell you what. I think this was not an awardsy trailer. Like, this is not a trailer I would think is going to be a Venice Film Festival premiere or an awards mo- level movie. Like, this is this is really a, not a prestige kind of trailer for Dune. I, I, but I, I've been wrong in the past. Like, we've seen Get Out. I, I remember talking about that in one of our first episodes. Like, the marketing for Get Out was just like they're trying to make this look like a jump scare movie when it when it really it wasn't. Mm, it was a satire, and they totally mismarketed it. And or maybe they marketed it perfectly, and everybody went to see it for that yeah. reason. I don't know. But I don't think you're trying to misdirect an audience with like it, I, this. Feels like an action blockbuster to me right now off this trailer. Yeah, and I guess uh, they don't care about Dune getting Oscars in major categories, and they they care about butts and seats. So, yeah, Why don't I, you shave Jason Momoa? 
<laughs> Why would you do that? It, his beard was... That's like, get me Carrot Top, but can yeah. you have him wear a headband? <laughs> like, why? <laughs> I've seen him wear headbands. Yeah. No. Okay. I'm sure the exact same thing went through my head. Jason Momoa, no beard, <laughs> Carrot Top, headbands. Right. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. Or do you put it up in a uh, hair tie? You know? That doesn't work. Get me Andrew W.K., but hand him a guitar and have him only play classical music. What are you, like, what are you doing? Things are what they are for a reason sometimes. Have Jason Momoa shave his beard and let's tape it on Oscar Isaac's face is what happened in this trailer. Oscar Isaac is not featured in any of these trailers, which is uh, uh, worrisome because he's a major character. But all right, Mike Henry Zabrowski of uh, the last podcast on the left and our, our, our friend of the show, John Gabris there, they did a Dune episode not too long ago uh, where... It got me all psyched up for doing again, so maybe I'll try to read it again. They said you just got to get through the first couple of hundred pages before it gets good. Oh, great. So, I don't so know if you're... it's the literary <laughs> Terrence Malick movie. <laughs> literary Terrence Malick, apparently. Sci-fi. Good. The, the SSFFF. <laughs> oh, my God. The SFF of Terrence Malick, yeah. Perfect. That's exactly what I'm in the mood for. And Canto Mike from Disney. Got our first introduction to the magical land of Madrigal Heights, where everything and everyone is filled with fantastical magic, except protagonist Mirabelle. I figured this was going to have better comedy there. Like that, this was this is a funny premise. Like she's the only one yes, in her magical agree. family that has no <laughs> skills. But they, yeah, they, they, this was not a funny trailer. This was a beautiful trailer. Like I love how every single color in the rainbow, every single color on the color palette is in every single frame of this Encanto trailer. I mean, that's that's got to be an edict from Disney, right? I would think. I mean, it's certainly bright and pops and it's colorful. The animation looks great because it's Disney, so of course it's going to look great. But Man, that one scene with that person mystiquing his way through like four or five different shape shifts in a row to welcome people and give them high fives while they looked like they were looking in a mirror. That if tripped me out. somebody just turned into you and offered you a high five. Yeah, I would be terrified. <laughs> that probably would not be your reaction, and would the, you? <laughs> and everybody, I mean, that little kid just took it in stride and that old, you know, a bunch of people just going right down the line. I have no idea, apropos of nothing, but, you know, it. It both weirded me out and made me laugh, so I guess there was some of that. But I, I feel good about saying that the animated feature race is over already with this one. This one really looked great. I mean, it's from Disney. It's not a Pixar movie like I originally thought. Uh, mm-hmm. Lin-Manuel Miranda, he's just he's going to get an Oscar nom come hell or high water one way or another, isn't he? Because that song that I imagined is his, I think that was an ass shaker in this uh, trailer. Yeah, the song was great. Uh, that, again, speaks to the multi-category powers of a Disney animated film mm-hmm. here. So, that you know, that's something to factor in as well. I wonder if something like Flea, if, uh, you know, the two films that I know we're going to talk about this weekend from Cannes, two animated films there. I wonder if, you know, having different kinds of animated features this year is going to throw a wrench into it. Or I wonder if... Lin-Manuel Miranda's Vivo on Netflix from Mm. Sony Animation, if that's going to, you know, cannibalize this at all, if that's a possibility. So without Pixar having, you know, the typical stranglehold on the category, what does that mean for Encanto and animated feature? You're probably right. This has got the Oscar-y date. It's gorgeous. We're probably overthinking it, or I'm probably overthinking it, and uh, this is the front runner. 
I do like the premise. I'm with you. I, I hope it, it lives up to what it could be. Michael, I wish I did not include this trailer for The Lost Leonardo, something I reviewed at Tribeca, a documentary that I loved. What did you think about the Sony Pictures Classics documentary feature contender here, The Lost Leonardo? So I'm high on it because it just seems like an overall crazy mystery. And I happen to love when a documentary follows a chain reaction of events that lead it into different realms you wouldn't expect. Like this is about an art piece but it, it it doesn't stay just in the art verification world it, it goes looks like it's going to dive into the forensics and maybe some world history too that's kind of cool mm. when a documentary takes you places you wouldn't expect but i'm confused about the plot and the uh, of this so this was a painting that was auctioned off but or nobody not. knows where it is or not or yes they do they could know and it might be his, it might not be his. I'm not telling you anything. I wish I didn't let you watch this trailer. And I don't want anybody to watch this trailer. Sony Pictures Classics should pull this trailer. They should just they should just like have Banksy paintings. They should have somebody no, impersonate gonna... <laughs> Banksy and just draw paintings all over the world. I'm gonna push back on that because I have no idea what's going on. So I didn't I don't think I anything's wrong. I have me. been spoiled. <laughs> That's my whole thing. Do like you? all of the big moments in this trailer were like my happiest moments watching the oh, movie and again a wikipedia page you could probably learn all of this so don't look up the lost leonardo right. don't I've, look it I've, up. I've been i've been trying not to the more you say don't the more i want to just to spite uh, you I should not have <laughs> i was a joy to here. raise with i my should parents. have let you be blissfully but wait, unawares this, this trailer goes like two minutes of mm -hmm. talking about the history of this painting and what it could be and how it was auctioned off and the price of it and blah, blah, blah. And then it ends with a guy saying where nobody knows where the hell it is. So I think that's a decent setup. I, I don't know exactly what the mystery is at the heart of this other than is this painting a real Leonardo? I don't know if they're actually searching for the goddamn painting at any point. But if you say I've been spoiled, that upsets me. <sighs> You're kind of a little bit spoiled. And yeah. but here's how to get more enjoyment. Like watch Tenet, you know, and maybe... <laughs> Because, like, there's a whole big sequence in Tenet in one of the major settings of this movie, this documentary, The Lost Leonardo. So, no. All right. Well, yeah. I got to watch Tenet then. I have still have not watched Tenet. Tenet. <laughs> You've been successfully avoiding Tenet for over The more a year. I see people taking the dive into it and saying, like, I don't know what the hell's going on, I, I don't know if that makes me want to watch it more or less, but something happens inside me for sure. I think you're going to want to punch me in the face after watching Tenet. <laughs> okay, and cool. then you're definitely going to punch me in the face after watching The Lost Leonardo now. Uh, well, that, that's, that's sad. I was, I'm looking forward to that. and Now I, I hate you. All right. I finally got a good movie, and I, I spoiled it for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you might have liked this one. Damn it. We could talk about Turning Red, which is going to be the next Pixar film. It's not due out until 2022, but it's nice to know that after looking at this one for the first time, uh, that also next year's animated feature category is spoken for, it seems. So we're getting a lot done in this episode. Uh, we're, we're very productive right now in this trailer <laughs> uh, thoughts segment. And right, uh, this was adorable. Uh, it, yeah. was, it was such a relatable premise, your mom embarrassing you. Mm -hmm. So... Sorry, Mom, but I think, uh, I think Kid Red, Hulk. 
I mean, she can relate too. Everybody can relate to their their parents uh, embarrassing them, yeah. especially back at school. So, oh, this was adorable. She turns into a giant bear. Uh, she runs across rooftops. I guess she doesn't weigh very much. Loved it. This is Kid Hulk. Instead Kid. of angry, it's embarrassment, and instead of a giant green monster or mutant, it's a fluffy, adorable, oversized fox panda or whatever. <laughs> fox panda that i hope has the powers of hulk yes. i think that's a great point it's uh, a but, little weird that pixar would greenlight both this because the premise of this is is exactly that the girl's in school her mother's there she gets embarrassed well she can't take the embarrassment so she literally turns into this oversized giant you know bear fox thing that's running across rooftops it's a little weird that pixar would greenlight both that and luca in the same kind of time frame and maybe that explains more why they push luca to disney plus hmm because, right, those, I mean, it's a, the premise is... Uh, the, the idea of protagonists trying to hide their quote-unquote real selves or their beast within, it, it's shared by both movies, by both Luca and this one, it would seem. I don't necessarily want to compare this to Luca because I didn't like Luca. <laughs> right. Hopefully it's better. Hopefully it's better. And right. A lot of people love Luca, though. I'm that That's not a take that is aging well. People are probably upset at us and me. But well, no, that's Don't no, like... not a position I'm not used to having done this show by now. <laughs> Mike, we got a bunch of quick hitting Oscar news stories that I do think, you know, uh, kind of segue into this weekend's pod, but also, you know, films that we've been previewing and, and looking mm-hmm. forward to for a while here. So starting off, Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley officially gets an R rating for strong bloody violence. Now, strong bloody violence for Nightmare Alley. Does that necessarily does that necessarily become something different than The Shape of Water? Do you think The Shape of Water was rated R for strong bloody violence or fish? Imagine if that fish just stabbed her early yes. in that movie and that could have avoided the entire 2-hour affair. There was strong bloody violence in that movie plus a lot of sexual confusion type no. of things later in the movie, but I know I was sexually confused leaving that theater. Aroused is another word <laughs> right, for anyway. Right, sure. This. What are you doing to that trout? Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, I think Guillermo del Toro is going in with house money with Nightmare Alley a little bit. Like oh, know, absolutely. So this is like a passion project. He's remaking it like an old favorite, maybe. But it looks gorgeous. Every still we, you know, every you know leaked photo that comes out for Christ's sake, and and but. We know that the Academy doesn't love strong bloody violence unless it's kind of historically, you know, put in context or overwhelmingly artistic. And even then, like those films don't necessarily win. Maybe they're nominated. Obviously, we've been covering Tarantino and Scorsese forever. So I, I guess matters. it depends. Context kind of matters, too. Because, yeah, I mean, Tarantino, we've talked about, he obviously has an Academy pedigree. There's. The last duel, there's been a billion medieval ones that, you know, I mean, I don't know that necessarily there was blood all over the, that third Lord of the Rings movie necessarily, but there was a sure shit a lot of violence. So it, it, I guess context matters too. And if anyone's going to get a break or kind of a, you know, get grandfathered in or be credence given to their artistic vision more so than their bloody execution, I would think a guy like Guillermo del Toro is going to get that benefit of the doubt. So... I could see it still contending. I don't know. It's just going to... This tells me that the movie's done, at least, or at least a, a, a yes. presentable cut is done, and it, it's going to be another one that's just in that slate this year. That's when Good we're point. in this time, that's going to get movie after movie after movie. It seems like Nightmare Alley is going to be entrenched into that schedule. 
it's officially coming out this year. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we also have Don't Look Up, which is the Netflix movie that we have talked about here, with, speaking of Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence, that's going to be coming out on Netflix uh, this December. That is via Discussing Film, at Discussing Film on Twitter. Right. So a lot of our friends online were, were talking about Don't Look Up, and they've been talking about Don't Look Up with Leo, etc. This is going to be Netflix's crown jewel. And with Netflix always having so many films to push every year, there's been a lot of discussion about what is Netflix's focus? What is their crown jewel? What are they pushing? And we've seen films like Roma and The Irishman get the most in terms of nominations. We saw that with Mank. And then we've seen other films like Marriage Story win the most or Ma Rainey's Black Bottom win uh, in The Crafts, etc. So when were those films released? Well, the, most of those I mentioned have been released in November. And mm-hmm. yeah, Ma Rainey's and the Two Popes, they've been kind of late breakers that you know play the festivals or, or whatnot, and then they come out in December. So I'm not necessarily sure where Don't Look Up fits in. It's obviously on the profile level of something like you know at least a marriage story, if not probably not The Irishman, but close. I mean, with that cast. I'd I love to be a fly on the wall in the Netflix uh, marketing Right. meetings about this stuff because i i truly wonder if netflix like when you have the irishman on your schedule you know you're going to put your forces behind that mm-hmm. last year it seemed like they had too many options to push and they never really were fully entrenched behind any one especially once it seemed like trial of chicago 7 was losing some of its luster it seemed like at that point it was too late for netflix to kind of reallocate resources behind ma Rainey's or anything else uh I wonder if they know that this is going to be their gem of the Oscar season or if, if they I wonder how Netflix, I guess, is what I'm trying to say here. I wonder how Netflix thinks they've done the last couple award seasons. I don't know. Like, and are what they lessons changing? they can learn from that. Well, that's the thing. Are they changing their strategy? Because yeah. if you look at Oscar dates and we have we've done multiple episodes on when Oscar movies Best Picture mm-hmm. winners and nominees especially are released on the calendar, and December wins that battle. It wins. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, going all the way back, it wins. So is this them changing strategy, or is this them, you know, c- you know, stubbornly staying with their strategy and they continually think that n- actually November is their time to put out their awardsiest stuff? I don't know. Either way, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, you know, you can't not be intrigued by Adam McKay, Jennifer Lawrence, Leonardo DiCaprio. Totally. Makes it seem like it's going to go for a more serious tone than these two astronomers who have to warn everyone that an asteroid is plummeting towards Earth premise would suggest, maybe, with <laughs> done by Adam McKay. Adam McKay said the tone is somewhere between the big short and the other guys, though. So if it's got that, like farcical tone at times i don't, like if, if he's putting it in that spectrum i don't i don't know so leonardo's gonna jump off a building and aim for the bushes with the rock is what i'm hearing <laughs> I, I hope so not not that would, that would just be funny uh but uh i know I, I think leonardo's beard is going against what leonardo's profile should give netflix at the end of the day i've heard he's Back totally to unrecognizable in the next scorsese movie Spencer, Pablo Lorraine, Kristen Stewart as Princess Diana movie. That's going to premiere in Venice. That will join alongside Dune, uh, The Power of the Dog, and Halloween Kills. All all vying for Best Picture at the Oscars. Spencer was rumored to head to Cannes, and yet it is premiering at Venice, 
and Neon's last Best Picture winner started at Cannes, Parasite, whereas last year's Best Picture winner premiered at Venice. So, look, we could be totally ignorant here, and Spencer just wasn't ready. Mm. This is Kristen Stewart as Princess Di. It just wasn't ready for Cannes, and it's forced to go to Venice with Dune, uh, etc. Or they're they're trying a different tact. What do you think about can maybe, and that slate and i mean it's like a prologue to to saturday yeah maybe they're trying to get the movie out of emmy's consideration you know when, when everyone's going to be talking about the crown and all that stuff maybe they want to have their own time for princess diagulation i'm not sure uh, i know you and i have varying concerns about spencer huh. I, I seem to be a little more promising on it uh than you or have you changed your mind at all about uh what you're expecting with it Oh, I'm still very worried. I, yeah. I want to see it. I'm dying to see it. I just, uh, you know, I'm looking at the canned slate right now, and I'm wondering if it could have won. If it, if, if they're, right. you know, if they're really confident in it, it could have, it could have won a can because can seems to be like a six horse race now. Who the hell knows who's going to win a can? The Palme d'Or. So I mean, we've so, seen what the Palme d'Or did for a parasite. I mean, maybe none of these movies are on the level of a parasite because it's like the greatest movie ever made. That's been an MMO statement since the beginning of this podcast. Nobody can dislike parasite. Correct. So I think, no, I think neon has played that, that campaign strategy before. However, if anyone knows who, what they're doing, it's certainly me. I mean, they, they have won that benefit of the doubt as well lately. That's for sure. Anyway, it's again, it's just making us feel stronger about Halloween kills, I guess. That's going to go for your, that's going to win so many Oscars. <laughs> just do it. Just, who cares? Just give Halloween kills best picture. If it's a masterpiece, oh my God, we're going to be idiots this fall, folks. People leave the theater crying. <laughs> it's beautiful. Uh, Mass from Bleecker Street, uh, a favorite of yours, Michael, that has an October 8th theatrical release and of note all four actors are going to be in the supporting category consideration come oscars time now mass is a film about four characters in one room and yes there are a couple of scenes where they're not in that one room Mm -hmm. but i think they have equal amounts of scenes where they're not in that one room or maybe there's one one couple has one extra scene the four characters, the four principal characters, basically share this movie's entire screen time. So, on the one hand, it's very hard to parse through who's a lead and who's supporting in mass. Mm-hmm. I would say that uh, you know Jason Isaacs and Mar- Martha Plimpton, that maybe they 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 would be more the lead side, and and then Anne Dowd and her hubby there it could be the the, the supportings, but. It's again. It's a difference of one very short scene. So, you have been talking about cannibalization and in terms of vote sharing, etc., with these, you know, category posturing uh, situations before, and this has got to drive you nuts. Yeah, it doesn't make me happy, but I also, considering how small a movie this is compared to, look, any small movie's got to do something unique to kind of rise above the fray of what's coming this fall and winter. So, at first, my first, and I tweeted this too, my initial reaction was just stop cannibalizing yourself. Don't put everything, if you're going to make the announcement this early, which you don't have to, but don't put this out there saying they're all going for the same category. Mm-hmm. I guess I can see the argument of, well, we don't think this, we're not, this isn't a multi-performance nomination movie anyway. Has to be what the theater's thinking, or the studio's thinking. So... 
it, it's troubling to me to parse through because last year with one night in Miami, we figured, all right, they're actually sacrificing a couple of these guys right, in the right. lead category because they want you to focus eventually on Leslie Odom Jr., right? Exactly. He's going to be a multi-nominee. And I thought, like, all right, he's got the best chance. He probably can win, never mind get nominated. So they they probably made the right move and it turned out anything but. Like he really didn't have a chance when it came down to it right. because a movie with a guy who was basically the lead in it and they had a fiery performance, Daniel Kaluuya, and a deserving performance there, right. took it with ease. And mm-hmm. here, you never know. Like, Jason Isaacs is so good in this, and maybe he doesn't necessarily have the star name to go against the Will Smiths in lead, to go against Leonardo DiCaprio in lead, etc. So maybe this is a wise move if... Yeah, if, you're, if your plan is... We think we we don't know which performance is going to catch fire, but we're pretty sure one of them is. Mm-hmm. Well, they have to then sort yeah, it then out. run it as supporting. Run all right. the, run them all as supporting. I actually I don't disagree that I still think it's. I don't think you should announce it this early, but <laughs> I don't I'm know. Okay we, yeah, it. I don't know the rationale behind that either, unless they they decide to change it later and they're just testing the waters with it right sure. now. I, I'm fascinated by the mass and why they're going here unless they want it to get vetted out amongst film twitter or wherever or the, you know the academy Which, that, has, Mike, that has to be the play that has right. to be what they're planning the on. longer I mean, the ramp up yeah. the more people can get behind and dowd or martha plinton right right if, if jason isaacs is going to be front and center and he is going to be the one let, let's you know again let's have the uh let's have the what do they call that the caucus mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. that's a political word you got to caucus up, and you got to get behind one or the other. Just got to do it. I think the Academy has to make a principle. Just you know, Ann Dowd can be nominated, but she has to, pandemic or not, she has to stay home. You want to organize? <laughs> if she shows up at a place, tragedy wanna, follows. Do you want to organize the Ann Dowd caucus? <laughs> I love Ann Dowd. She's a, one of my favorite actresses. But every time she's on screen, you know something awful is going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, that uh, that does not get. Uh... I'm yeah, sure that... Mass bears that out. I don't, that's not even a spoiler. I know. You're right. right. The... I'm I'm trying to avoid spoilers. No, I, it doesn't seen, matter. You you know. Right. There's a there's an endowed factor. Exactly. The endowed factor is a real one. Absolutely. <laughs> um, speaking of the endowed factor, she's on a TV show. Let's talk more about those with our unqualified Emmy nomination reactions. Uh, the announcement of the Emmy noms, they were made by father-daughter Emmy winners from last year, Ron and Jasmine Cephas-Jones. Uh, it was only like 15 minutes online. They got through it pretty quickly. Let's start with some numbers and some stats, Mike. Yeah, shout out to Clayton Davis, who did like all the network tallies in a very short order. I really appreciated that because uh, Variety had these just written out clearly for us. So all the Disney networks, Disney Plus, Hulu, FX, Nat Geo Freeform, they had a total of 146 Emmy noms, Mike, all things considered. Creative Arts, obviously, and the Primetime Emmys. HBO if you and and Warner's if you count all theirs up 132 wow. Netflix 129 and then obviously you can go down the list a couple more streamers Apple TV Plus at 34 Prime Video actually went down Apple TV Plus went up uh, it's it's fascinating to look at uh how things shook out as opposed to last year as well but uh, yeah Disney the big winner and if you're talking about what are the top streaming services that people are going to start cutting, is that the answer right there? I mean, I know it's it's an awards and it's 
very subjective and you have to rely on the Academy, but there's a stark difference between the 146, the 132, and the 129 that Disney, HBO, and Netflix carry for Emmys, uh, noms, and versus anything else any other studio did. So uh, just in general, more stats here. Streamers went from 269 noms in 2020 to 342 total noms for this year's show. Cable went from 242 total noms last year down to 166 at this year's show. And broadcast TV went from 127 noms last year down to 105 this year. Yeah, streamers really taking charge. Uh, in terms of the shows themselves, obviously you got a lot of techs and crafts and The Mandalorian full of those. going to have a big night, Creative Arts Emmys night there. They, they tied The Crown with 24 total. WandaVision, 23 total. And WandaVision got a lot of writing noms, by mm-hmm. the way, Mike, which was fascinating for me to see because I don't, know. I don't know. I wasn't as big a fan of WandaVision as some folks are. I still enjoyed it, but all right. Handmaid's Tale, 21. Ted Lasso, 20, had a big night. Uh, Saturday Night Live, always 20. Emmy noms, not, no surprise there. Queen's Gambit, Lovecraft Country, the canceled Lovecraft Country, C'est La Vie, 18 noms apiece. Uh, Murder Dirter with 16 and uh, Hacks with 15. (laughs) All right. So let's dive into the categories. Uh, Let's get some takes going for both uh, the categories at large, some of the contenders, the nominees here. Uh, Anything from the drama series that you can pinpoint and that stuck out to you, Mike? Just looking at the eight, the crown should continue its dominance, I would think, right? Yeah, I got the same takeaway as far as drama series and comedy series for both, and that's why wouldn't the Crown and Ted Lasso continue their run of dominance? I know, like Shit's Creek is gone, and Succession right. is not in this cycle. Right. So yeah, that I mean, in terms of the other shows that have won already, you would think uh, these shows would just continue can continue to win. But you and I haven't watched everything, and yeah, I mean, I'm high on the Crown. I've never seen This Is Us, Pose, or The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, I have seen Mandalorian, Bridgerton, and The Boys, and I, I love those shows, but I, I I wouldn't put them up against The Crown and expect them to win an award, a prestigious award, necessarily, right? I mean, especially without, you know, a ton of nominations down the card, even as an awards pundit, like The Boys, no actors from The Boys are nominated, Bridgerton and Mandalorian just a, just like Renee Page, right? Or just the two leads from Bridgerton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would think the Crown's nominated everywhere. They got like multiple in every supporting category, multiple noms on the on the acting side. So you would think the Crown has the show of support and would continue to win. Yeah, those are the two shows that and Ted Lasso are the two that have the strongest awards pedigree thus far. They just have won everything. And I'm not an expert in the TV field at all. Obviously, I barely watch the shows, but. First of all, it seems like there's a different TV award show every other week throughout the calendar. I feel like I've heard Ted Lasso win a billion times already. But yeah, uh, yeah. that, to me, it would just that's a, a precursor of things to come. I don't know why they would stray from that path. Mm-hmm. I also don't know how good This Is Us is. And we know the, the Academy of Television definitely plays favorites with their voting body. I mean, again, we're not experts, but we see this. Like, usually, if there's a long-running beloved show that hasn't gotten its rightful Emmys due, it'll mm-hmm. be rewarded in its final year. And This Is Us, in that vein, the vein of that thinking, at least. This Is Us, seem, to me, This Is Us seems to be filling this kind of, like, let's hold this one spot in the drama series category open for whatever the best broadcast drama is. 
So that gets filled, and broadcast can still have its day because we're still on broadcast TV with this awards show. I, I would say I followed the punditry a little bit, and okay. This Is Us was like in the third spot for like the last few months in the final really? forecast, okay. for instance. Good. So I don't nec- I don't think it's snuck in. Good. Uh, again, I, I mean, I'm, I'm talking out my ass here completely. I know nothing about any of this. So that that I tried to find betting lines and betting odds. Yeah. And I, they just weren't out yet, which you can bet on anything. I don't know why that's the th- thing now. So I have questions for a lot of bookies out there. But I, I couldn't find anything. I was very curious to see where This Is Us was betting odds-wise for the drama series. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this in terms of betting odds, in terms of uh, why I'm looking forward to the Emmys. I think a lot of these acting categories are wide open and up for grabs and even more crowded than I thought they would be with shows like Ted Lasso and the crown potentially running away with a lot of wins because I mean, look at the actor, the drama elite actor. I mean, you got Brown Porter O'Connor and Reese. They've all won major awards. Uh, I don't know who's winning that category with, you know, with newcomers uh, in there as well. Suppose it's last year though, isn't it? It's who's I'm pretty sure it was poses last season. I don't know. I don't. Here's another thing. How many people in that television academy have watched everything? It's impossible. It's got to be. And how, even in their branch. Yeah. That's even in your nominee. I mean, we know, we know the, the, the academy here doesn't watch stuff, and they, all they got to do is sit down for two hours, never mind a whole season of something. Have a great first episode performance. <laughs> if you're sorry. No, I think, uh, I think the lead actress category is fascinating with Moss and Aduba bringing their resumes uh, next to the two from The Crown, Coleman and Corin, and then you have just just media darlings right now and MJ Rod- Rodriguez for great reasons. Yes. And... Uh, yeah, you know these categories are just more open than I thought, and I, I I was intrigued to think that maybe another show could build a resume, build support, and go up against The Crown and Ted Lasso. But maybe I'm stretching for that as well. I don't know. I would put my life that Ted Lasso is going to win. <laughs> I, I don't. I mean, talking about comedy series, it's up against Blackish, Cobra Kai, Pen Fifteen, Emily in Paris, Hacks. The Flight Attendant, which I'm pretty sure came out three or four years ago at this point. That shows you how tuned into TV I've been. Uh, and the Kaminsky Method again. So, yeah, Emily in Paris, by the way, getting some validation, right? So the the, the HFPA. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> anyway, um, I have not seen the, most of these shows either. Pen15, Hacks, Ted Lasso. I watched an episode of The Flight Attendant. but uh, and, and the Kaminsky Method I did, did watch. I... I don't think any necessarily stand up to Ted Lasso, but Hacks is pretty darn good. I the Kaminsky I've seen method, a lot of love for Hacks. Kaminsky method's been rewarded over the years already, though. I don't know that it's yeah. I like the flight attendant. I couldn't stay with it, uh, you know, and it came out in 1999. So I just <laughs> yeah. really didn't when have Limp Biscuit was playing the radio, Biscuit, the flight attendant had its I, first. I, I wanted to listen to <laughs> Limp Biscuit. Uh, more than I wanted to rewatch. I'm wearing a red Yankees. I thought I watched now. the flight attendant already, and I just didn't realize I never watched it. Well, that's it was... probably damning for its chances in this. Denzel category. Washington's <laughs> not in it, I guess. <laughs> Tom Hanks doesn't have a mustache in it for some reason. Probably not great for its chances in the, to upset Ted Lasso, which is one at every other award show we've done. So. Yeah, the acting categories here, you would think Sudeikis takes lead. Waddingham 
probably is a slight betting favorite and supporting, perhaps. That's a big category, too. There's a lot of big names there. I love lead actress, though. Like, Jean Smart is in Hacks, Murder Durder, and she's getting double nominated. Uh, Tracy Ellis Ross, this is going to be her fifth nomination, mm-hmm. I believe, in the primetime mm-hmm. Emmys, and she seems overdue there. Allison Janney's won everything, everywhere, always. Mm-hmm. Kelly Cuoco was the betting favorite at the Golds, I think we clover- covered, in that Denzel Washington, Tom Hanks fight, uh, flight attendant movie, right? Um <laughs> These are not movies. This is TV, uh, Mike. It's not TV, Mike. It's mostly HBO. It's mostly HBO, as we heard at Disney Plus, yeah. uh, two biggest movie studios on the planet. All right, so I think uh, I think comedy has got a lot of uh, fun categories as well. I would say. What's the bigger upset for you if it doesn't happen? If Ted Lasso loses or The Crown loses, what are you more surprised by? The Crown. Really? Because The Crown's going against The Crown's going against a lot of new a lot of new shows and then it's going against like one show that I think's already been awarded. You know, the, this is us is one four or five and it hasn't won the big award, obviously, but it's, it's won awards for years. Mm. It's got, it's been nominated for years. I don't I know. Just I, don't, have, what, I, I don't know what's in, you can make an argument for what's in second place for drama series to me. I don't know what's second place for comedy series. Uh, I, my guess is it's hacks. I don't know. I, I think they did a good job writing the Kaminsky method with uh, Alan Arkin just saying, oh, I'm done. Yeah. Goodbye. <laughs> Make a show without me. <laughs> and what they did. Life. They did a good job. Uh, Limited uh, anthology series. Uh, we have Murder, Durder, I May Destroy You, WandaVision, The Queen's Gambit, and The Underground Railroad. A lot of big names going against each other here. WandaVision going against The Queen's Gambit, against Mayor of Easttown as well. That's got to be fun, I would think. Yeah, I, I'm kind of mad at this category because Small Axe is not here, and I don't understand why six and eight, you know, nominees are for other, you know, categories. But there's only five here, and I, I don't know the rules. But I, I'm, I'm mad that the Steve McQueen anthology is not here, and there's really no anthologies here. These are all limited series, so just have a limited, just have an anthology award. Like, what are they doing? Um, so that makes no sense because John Boyega and Letitia, I mean, they're winning awards everywhere in the critics associations and Boyega was winning major awards uh, at the Globes, etc. So that's aggravating. But I, you're right. It, these are fun and these are really good limited series. So that's cool, I would say. And this does seem to be loaded now with maybe a slight edge to the Queen's Gambit. Yeah, it, because it of feels like the Emmys are doing what the Oscars are killing themselves to try and do. Mm. Like, the Emmys are, are awarding the best of TV, and the which happen to also be the most watched programs. Right. Small Axe is the collection of art films. Right, and whereas the Oscars yeah. are trying bending over backwards, trying to figure out how to draw in people from the biggest, most watched movies, which usually aren't the Oscar movies. Well, that's the thing. Like the nominating branches can't watch as much stuff, so they're gonna. Vote. Yeah, but the Emmys here are saying, you know, Wandavision is nominated in the biggest categories. The The Mandalorian is nominated in the biggest categories. Avengers Endgame was not. You know, they couldn't get Mission Impossible, Fallout was exactly. not. They don't know how to get those people. But the, you know, the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences, everybody watched Endgame. But everybody mm-hmm. probably also watched, you know, all the other art films or most of the other art films. So at least they can make a change. Like I, how many of them in the Television Academy watched the rest of the card? 
mm. is the question for this for this nominating branch. I don't know. Anyway, I think uh, I think these categories are confusing. I would say, and that's been a lot of the Monday morning quarterbacking from the Emmys pundits, and that people were confused about the uh, you know small axe candidacy, and it, it is confusing because. We have uh, TV movies that are not eligible for the best picture, essentially, or best series there because it's just limited series and anthology or, or anthology. And then they add TV movie to the acting category. It should just be best season of TV. That <laughs> should be a category. Yeah, because if you had if you had the best of every of every category going for best series. Yeah. How about that? There, Instead there of best go. picture, best series, like we I just fixed the that. Emmys. We just yeah. Emmys. We just blew you up into the stratosphere. <laughs> you're going to become the super. You're going to differentiate yourselves. Not that they really need it, but that different. Oh my God! I mean, I know you want to reward more, but just have an ultimate prize too. Yeah, you know the WWF used to do that with the Survivor Series back in the early '90s. Best television. Yeah, but like, yeah. the winners would all team up at the end. As Ted Lasso taught us. It's America. We don't <laughs> want ties. We don't want them. Also, Bo Burnham's Inside was nominated six times, you said, which I did not notice, and I'm happy about. I think he was nominated, yeah, himself, too, six times. So he's got to go against Hamilton and, you know, Spike Lee's, you know, David Burns' American Utopia there. What Hamilton? Hamilton was taped four years ago. <laughs> yeah, he's got to go. Bo Burnham him. killed himself on live TV, basically. <laughs> Bo Burnham himself put he put himself through a lot to make us <laughs> laugh and dance on TikTok. He did. And the the final take I have on the Emmys here, mm-hmm. I don't know if this is a new category, but there's a category for variety or competition hosts. And shout out to Nicole Byer. I'm happy to see her nominated. She deserves it. But that category should be renamed the Jeff Probst Award. And also, he should win it every single year. Because what he does on Survivor to work the narratives that the producers and editors are going for into every live event and competition, while also simultaneously doing live real-time play-by-play that's better than 90% of sports announcers, it's truly incredible stuff. He does it every year. He does it so well that there was a rumor in like the mid-2000s that WWE was trying to buy him out to be the actual play-by-play guy, and CBS upped his contract to keep him. And I have no idea if that's true at all, but in my mind, it has been for 15 years. Give Jeff Probst that award every year. So just when I thought we were actually gaining some esteem mm-hmm. and we're going to be able to mm-hmm. hold our heads high amongst finish the, the thought. Yep. Oscar and Emmy right. pundits out there, mm-hmm. never mind the fact that we may have fixed the Emmys a second ago, mm-hmm. you have to go on a tirade about Survivor host. Jeff Prost in the Creative Arts Emmy's 74th category of the night. And, uh, yeah. That, that would that would be accurate, yes. It's all <laughs> and you about cited keeping the, it Yeah, nice you cited the WWE. You cited the and sports announcers to you gotta uh, close keep your it, argument. You know, you can't get too, too big ahead in this game. <laughs> got to keep yourself level. Remember uh, where you came from. I'm going to watch some more TV, though. I think, I mean, coming off these noms, I think you will, too. Well, you watched, you watched a lot of these already, didn't you? I watched you? a lot of them, yeah. yeah. More than I usually do uh, this year. I have sure. to, like, if I don't watch a, a show of the moment, I just have to not, not. I can't watch The Mandalorian. I have to not watch it. Yeah, but you're also very, 
spiteful against pop culture in mm-hmm. a way. Because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. I like to dictate it, even from my basement here, surrounded by no one. <laughs> you're a Loki variant. I'm the whiz and nobody beats me. Yeah, you're a Loki variant and you refuse to learn about what that is. The Loki because... variant that has mustard on his shirt right now as he screams into a microphone. <laughs> Good for you. Guys, as always, want to know your thoughts about the Emmy nominations, about any of the trailers we covered, about anything else uh, from this episode, including the A24 story, as well as anything else we do here in the MMO Empire. You can leave us all those, as well as any other thoughts, comments, or questions or concerns you may have for us on our social medias, Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram, at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts, and if you're listening on the Apple Podcasts app, if you would be so kind as to go into that app and leave us a five-star review we truly would appreciate that michael what is coming next we've kind of teased it all episode already and what are some words of wisdom to end on e festival de can uh, the <laughs> battle of the bands i mean we're, i can't wait i can't wait to uh talk about all the standing ovations and all those statistics oh and, man uh it's gonna be fun uh french dispatch getting love a lot of movies getting love there uh, that we're excited about, we're hoping could contend for the Oscars. Uh, I'm gonna go see Pig. I'm, I'm I'm excited about that. So maybe I'll have a report back for you guys. Everybody loves it. Apparently, it's Nick Cage's greatest performance he's ever done. Uh, throw his Oscars in the trash, Michael. Um, Nicholas Cage is, is great in everything. Uh, now again, uh, I just but picture to- everyone leaving the theaters in cans with bruised hands. <laughs> what? Like if you're clapping for nine, ten minutes at a time. <laughs> You're going to end up being hurt at some point. Uh-huh. Like, what are they... Is it... You have to start... You also have to start with a golf clap. Or you have to learn how to whistle. You have think, to vary it up. Right. You can't, you got, just, you can't just keep hitting your hand like that. 22 minutes for Pan's Labyrinth. As, as much as you love Pan's Labyrinth. You fucking end up looking like the monster in Pan's Labyrinth. Except instead of holding eyeballs, you got to hold your hands. At the end of it, I mean, it's, you just got to feel drunk. You got to... Like, if you... If you're showing that much love, you, sh- you 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 should get something more out of it. Like, how, how does that not turn into an orgy? <laughs> I have very <laughs> all that and more coming up on our next episode of next Mike, Mike, episode. and Oscar. <laughs> Guys, when reality sucks, you can I don't know clap with us, but I don't want to use the sexual connotation attached with it now so let's just say talk about business with us here are mike mike and oscar trying to make award season year round without the stuffiness we will see you very soon see ya